Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Okay, in John 3, and then in John 6, in chapter 3, verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. And then John 3, verse 30 says that he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's an emphatic uh, in the, uh, the original language of, of the Greek. He must increase, but I must decrease. <clears throat> and when I read this uh, a couple of days ago in my own devotions, it just was bringing home to me the reality of the fact that it's very clear here that, that Jesus, having done everything and having done all, that in us and towards us and through us, he must do it. He has to do it. No one else can do it. Not a single thing. It has to be him. And that's why he said, in John 6.63, he said it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that quickens, really, that gives life, that enlivens us. And then he said this, he said that the flesh profits, what? Nothing. And that's why he says even here, a man can receive, and the Greek, it really means to take to himself. Here is Jesus Christ, and he has done everything. He's completely satisfied the Father. He finished the work. He propitiated the Father, which means he, he satisfied the holiness, the righteousness, and justice of God. He propitiated that. That was a, the Godward side of the cross, and thereby bringing about reconciliation for us when we would receive him as a substitute. And that's why it's called the vicarious, efficacious, uh, substitutionary atonement. Or really the better word is reconciliation. That's the word that's always in the Bible. It's never really atonement, it's reconciliation. But we can't even receive. We can receive, we can take to ourselves. Yes, he's done all of this for us. He's given us a great capacity. But still, we can't take it. And how many Christians do try? How many books are out there? How much teaching is out there? We can't even take it to ourselves. It has to be Him. It has to be the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ. And we've said before in John 16, 13, He guides us into all truth. He takes the things of Christ, Jesus said, the things that are mine, and he shows it unto you. In other words, he's showing you. And only when the Holy Spirit takes what Christ has given us and shows it to us, can we even receive it. Because a man can do nothing except it be given him from heaven. And the thought came to me this morning that the receiving is, is, not, is not only the provision that we can't do without, 
But even as he sends the provision, comes the receiving with it. Because we can't do either without him. He is the very provision. Paul said that my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply it. God the Father has supplied it through giving us his Son. But for you and I to experience his supply, it takes the Holy Spirit to actually give it to us, to open our eyes. The revelation of the Word of God never changes, but we certainly grow in the illumination of it. And that's what we'll grow for all eternity, in the illumination of the Word of God. But not only is the provision that we cannot do without, because we have nothing in ourselves, everything is in Christ, and thank God that we're in Him and He's in us. But the reality is that even as the provision comes, so does the ability to even receive it. He not only has done everything, Christ, but He is the ability for us to receive what He's done. That's why He said in John 15, 1-5, I am the vine, you are the branches. You, you can do nothing, he said. You can do nothing without me. We can't do anything without him. That's why Christianity is never due. It's receive what's already been done. That's what Christianity is. And that's why the first word, the first spelling in Christianity is C-H-R-I-S-T, Christ. That's what, that's what it is. So we have that ability. As we receive the provision, we receive, even as we receive that provision, the ability to even receive it. So the provision comes towards us. And it's something we cannot do without because we have nothing in ourselves. But what He's given, and even what He's given to us, takes Him... God the Holy Spirit for us to even have the ability to receive it. You'll see that in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man, the mind, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But they're revealed to us by the Spirit because the Spirit searches all things. Yea, it says the deep things of God. And without him, we cannot know that depths of the provision and we cannot even know the depths of the ability that we can have to function in it apart from him so and then it says and he must increase but I must decrease and really what it's saying is that again the moment that you and I receive Christ we receive the whole increase but as we decrease in the self life and being conscious of self, and depending on self, more and more we see the greater increase that's ours. It's not, that, it's not so much that, okay, if you decrease, I'll increase more and more in you. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, God gave us, the Father gave us the very best. John 3.16, For God so loved, 
the world, the mass of humanity, that he gave, he gave his only, uniquely, one of a kind, that's what the Greek says, uniquely begotten Son of God, that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have, have eternal life. And think of how many believers perish. They're his, but they're perishing simply because they've been taught that they have to do something for God to do something. And it's not the case at all. A man can, a man can receive nothing except it be given freely. Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace <clears throat> through faith. And even that, not of yourselves. Do I have faith? Yeah, well, not of yourselves. But it is the gift of God. See, he's giving. And not of works. Thank God. Takes it off of us. Lest any man should boast. Now, so, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is the sanctification process. This is growing in grace in 2 Peter 3.18. This is Jesus in his high priestly prayer when he said, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Who's the word? It's Jesus Christ. Who's the truth in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are to be sanctified in him. But for us to experience everything that we have in that increase is going to take the Holy Spirit, God again, for us to even have the ability to receive the provision. <laughs> it's just all God really is. That's why grace is always in the passive voice. In the New Testament, it's always passive. We don't do anything. But in this process of growing, in this process of Him increasing, in terms of what we already have, and as we decrease, we need more than anything, all of us, need to be patient in being reduced so that you and I can experience the increase that's ours in Christ. So even that, even that we have to depend on him for this patience. Now in John, the sixth chapter, this is really what I wanted to set the stage for this. In John, the sixth chapter, this is, uh, we'll read the, the, nine, the first nine verses. It says this, after these things, and boy, if you want to see what those things are, Boy, he was always dealing with those Pharisees. <laughs> Didn't believe him. I mean, every single thing that he faced in his humanity, perfect, but yet human. Again, his own brothers and sisters didn't believe in him in John 7, verse 5. The majority in Mark 3, verse 21, said that he was beside himself. He was crazy. His own received him not. He came to the nation of Israel. His own rejected him in John 1.11. Did it stop him from one iota from meeting the single person, loving them, meeting their need, and putting them ahead of himself? He would be hungry, yet he would feed multitudes. Yeah, multitudes. But anyways, it says, After these things... Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. 
a great multitude, it says, followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. It's, it's unfortunate today, but there are a great multitude that follow Jesus because of what he can do for them and not him himself. They saw the sign. They saw miracles. They saw what he did and were fascinated by it. They, they were fascinated. There's so much, even today, of that kind of teaching where multitudes follow him. Multitudes follow him. In Matthew 26, 56, afar off, it says, on a hill. And we've said before that the hill is called self-preservation. <coughs> a lot of believers, they're only going to go so far with Christ. They can only go so far. You see it. The 11 disciples. Of course, Paul hadn't been there yet. He was commissioned by the heavenly Christ. But the earthly, those that were his earthly disciples, the apostles, they followed him. They were in a circle. But yet only three others could go even further in following. Peter, James, and John. They could get that, they could follow him closer. But when it came time in his greatest need, when he was facing the cross, he was all alone because he's the only one that could do it. He was the only one that was sent to do it. But they followed him because they saw. They were walking by sight, too. And how many walked by sight? The fascination, you see it. You see it in, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, and so forth, that so many get fascinated by things about God, or the newest thing down the pipe. It's the newest thing that comes along, and they see and they follow. And But did that stop him? No. He healed all that were diseased. Can you imagine? They healed him. He just healed them. All that were diseased. Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them. And he delivered them from all their destructions. It's plural in the Hebrew we've said before. And then what did Jesus do? They were following him far off because they wanted miracles. They wanted to be fascinated. They might have had a legitimate need, but they wanted the fascination of this, these miracles, what he did. And what did he do? In verse 3 it says, And Jesus went up. <laughs> he went up into a mountain. And there he sat with his disciples. And this is a picture uh, in type of Jesus Christ leaving and going up to intercede. Multitudes were following him. Multitudes. Multitudes of believers today follow him because of what they think he can do. But they don't know him personally. They have no intimate relationship with him. So what does he do? He intercedes for them. He's interceding for them that they would hunger and thirst after him. Abraham and Sarah were given a promise by God. They promised Isaac 
they, right away. They couldn't wait. They tried to do it on their own. And of course we know the story, there's Hagar and the bond woman. And out of that, we have the line of all those Arab nations, all the ter terrorists, where they come from, that line. Ishmael. He is a, he, in Genesis, I believe it's the 16th chapter, 12th verse, somewhere around there. He, he, his hand would be against every man. Terror, terrorists. That's the best that the flesh could produce. And uh, they couldn't wait. Because God gave them a promise. He gave them a promise. But he didn't tell them that they were going to have to wait in patience for 30 years. That's when Isaac came. From the time he promised till he gave that promise, Isaac came was 30 years. Because he wanted them to wait in patience to get to know who he was. Not so much what he could continually do but to get to know him intimately. So he goes up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Isn't this interesting? It's, it was all a type of Jesus Christ and what he was <laughs> going to accomplish on Calvary. You look at Exodus, the 12th chapter, first 13 verses. It talks about the Passover lamb. They were celebrating the, the, the deliverance of Moses who delivered 2.4 million Jews out of captivity. And Moses was a type of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Egypt was, was a type of the world and Pharaoh was a type of Satan, the taskmaster. And they were held in bondage all these years. And then in type, Moses was going to lead them out. And when the death angel would come, they would kill the lamb and take the lamb's blood and take hyssop, which would speak of faith, dip it in the blood and hit it on two, two side posts and on the lentil. And then they would sit inside. They would be inside and they were to feast on the lamb. They were to feast on the lamb and be protected from all judgment. That's the Passover Here's the Jews, the height of them, right? Here's Christ, the, the one that was the very type of, the anti-type of the very type. And they rejected him. But yet he wanted to come because he knew his time was coming. And he wanted to celebrate that last Passover with his disciples. And so the Passover, it was a feast that the Jews was near when Jesus lifted up his eyes, <laughs> never on himself, he lifts up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. This great company. They wanted something from him. And this is what he said. He said unto Philip, and this is very interesting what he's doing here with these questions because he wants to teach them and he wants to teach us some things tonight. He said unto Philip, Where will we buy bread that these may eat? Where are we going to get the bread that these may eat? 
Verse 6 says, And this he said to prove him, to test him. To test him to see if he would have faith in Jesus Christ. For he himself, Christ himself, he knew what he was going to do. He knew it. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth. And watch the words where, where it says, because these things are loaded with truth. And I hope we have a little extra time just so we can share <coughs> some of these things. Because even these numbers in the Bible are loaded with truth. Every word is loaded. 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Think about it. It's, go it's not going to be sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And how many believers approach in their prayers, they pray. They, they have prayers. But then they look by sight and look at things and think it's not sufficient. It's not sufficient even for a little. Maybe God would give me a little, but even what I have is not even sufficient enough for him to give it to me. A little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, remember he's the one that introduced Peter to Jesus Christ. He was the first one, Andrew. And said unto him, there is a lad, and I love this little word. I, you look it up in the original language, literally means there is a little boy over here. There's a little boy. He's little. Just a little boy. What can a little boy do? Which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? There's a little boy. What's a little boy? He's just a little boy. And he's got five barley loaves, and he has two, two fishes, and they're small fishes. <laughs> How are you going to feed that many? And this is what Jesus said, make the men sit down. Really, the language is make them sit, make them lay down, make them lie down. First, I want them to lie down. I want them to, to be in a place of rest. I want them to be in a place of rest so that they can be ready to receive. Now there was much grass in that place. And really there were pastures, it says, of tender grass, beautiful grass. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord, my shepherd, I will not lack. He causes me to lay down in pastures, this is the Hebrew, of tender grass, and he leads me be beside waters of quietness. Waters of quietness. So he said, I, I make the men to lie down. Here's the shepherd. He's fulfilling it. Make them to lie down in patches of tender grass so that I am the water of the word, water of quietness, and I want the men, men to sit down in number about 5,000. I'm talking, there are 5,000 men. 
Okay. We don't know how many women and children were there, but it's very clear that there were 5,000 men that followed him. He wanted to go up into a mountain alone with his disciples and intercede. And they followed him, 5,000. They wanted something from him. And he said, lie down in the tender grass, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, just five little old barley loaves, that's all there were, just five. And he took those two little small fishes. And when he had given thanks, this is a beautiful thing, when we don't think that we have only but five loaves and two little small fishes in whatever circumstance and situation we're in, and when we look at that, and not think it's sufficient, is our mind on him who is our sufficiency. In other words, do we trust him emphatically for everything? If we could trust him to save our soul from hell and to deliver us in heaven, if we can trust him that our eternal destiny is complete and taken care of, he can't take care of the things in time, the details of life, those things that cause us to worry, he would have us to read Matthew 6, 25 to 31. Don't even be anxious, not even for one single thing. And cast your care upon me, in 1 Peter 5, 7, because I care for you. I do care. I want you to lie down in tender grass, green speaks of mercy, speaks of grace. I want you to lay down and rest and let me do what only I can do because in yourself you can do nothing. There's no sufficiency there. And your five loaves and your two fishes, your fishes may not be sufficient, but when you trust me, I will not only take care of your need, but how many others were taken care of you imagine? I mean, could Jesus do that today? The last I heard, Jesus, God, is not dead. <laughs> That's what I've heard. God is not dead. Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in Psalm 110, verse 1. And he's interceding for us by name. And in that intercession, he wants us to cause us to trust him fervently and emphatically, lay down in his mercy and in his grace, and let him feed us and feed our thirst with waters of quietness. Isaiah 30, verse 15, quietness and confidence will be their strength, but they would not, it says, they would not. They wouldn't believe. They refused to receive. Well, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, and that's what we're to do. Ephesians 5.20 says, In all things give thanks unto God the Father through Jesus Christ. How many? Should we thank God for all things? Yes, Ephesians 5.20. We thank Him for all things. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we're to give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In other words, 
Listen, we can give thanks because everything we have and everything we need is in Christ Jesus. We're not to look to ourselves, not to look to our circumstances, not to look to sight, not to look at what we have or what we don't have. We're to look at Jesus Christ. Because what can he do? Well, this is what he can do. And I think it's very interesting here, the way it goes into it here, because if you look at the Synoptic Gospels, and remember, the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they give similar accounts, and, and others think that there's discrepancies. They try to prove it, see, because it didn't mean this. This guy said this, this guy said that, and this guy said this. Well, really, they're all giving a full interpretation of what was going on, because it took all three of them through the Holy Spirit to tell you exactly what's going on. That's all that they were doing. But in those three, three even before they got to this place in, in John 6, 1 through 9, you can see and you will see that in those synoptics, even in, in Matthew 14, 1 to 13, you'll see it in Mark 6, you see it there in 6, 14 to 31. And you see it in Luke 9, 7 to 10. These th those things were missing right here. It didn't even, they, you know, the Holy Spirit didn't even have him record those things. He didn't have him record it. What was happening? Well, John the Baptist was beheaded. <laughs> that's, what was that's what happened. That happened. That's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? It would cause people to get really shook up. Some really would. And the apostles, it talks about how they returned from their trip, their mission trip, and the toil and work of their labor and preaching and teaching, and how they needed to rest, and how Jesus was bringing them aside to rest. But it's not recorded here. None of that is recorded here. The reason why is this. It's because Jesus, in this portion right here. Jesus is filling the picture. <laughs> He's everything. He's every single thing. And even in Philippians 3.14, forgetting those things that are behind, that's not talking about sin. That's even our spiritual progress. Forgetting it behind and <clears throat> reaching forward to more and more and more of Christ. More and more and more. Never being satisfied. But just continually going after more and more. More and more. But Jesus fills the picture here. That's what he does. Why? Because all is in his hand. In other words, everything that happened in those other synoptic gospels that, that is not recorded here was all in his hand. Everything. Romans 13, verse 1, all the powers, all the authorities, and Herod, the King Herod, and you know why, and you can read it, John the Baptist was beheaded, tricked by a daughter of his wife, one of the relatives there, but was that in, but, but was that in Christ's name? All the authorities, the powers that be are ordained of God. It's all in his hand, no matter what it looks like. We can look at it today and say, look what's happening in the world. Look what's happening in Israel. Listen, it's all been foretold. 
It's all in his hand. And we're to be occupied in Luke 19, 13 with him. We're to be occupied with him who is above all. But always he's at hand. What is it, what's the point here we, when we read it? Christ always takes the initiative. He always takes the initiative. And so here it pleased the Holy Spirit to give us Christ alone. Christ alone. What, who is he? He's the master of the situation. That's who he is. He takes the initiative towards us. And in every circumstance and situation, he is the master of it. You only have five? Are you a little boy? Are you a little girl? Do you only have five loaves? And two fishes? It would have barely fed the disciples. It's not enough, even never mind for five thousand men. God, what are we gonna do? It's impossible. It's completely impossible. My circumstance and my situation is by sight, it's absolutely impossible. It doesn't it just it just doesn't seem possible. But with God in Luke one thirty seven, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 26. Mark 10, 27. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing at all. Nothing. Is anything, in Genesis 18, verse 14, too hard for God? Is anything in my life or your life, my circumstance, your circumstance, my situation, your situation, is anything too hard for him? And remember, we've said before, he, he doesn't ask us if anything is too hard for us. It's not what he asks us. He's asking us, is anything too hard for him? In other words, he's saying, what can't you not trust me for? So, he takes the initiative. Everything's in his hand, and he's the master of the situation. It's always that way in John's Gospel. He's the one that laid his head on Jesus' breast. He really did. And everything was about Christ with him. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of things going on in Christianity today. All kinds of different things. But is it occupation with Jesus Christ? Is it? Well, what does he do? The whole point that he's getting to, the whole point here, as we begin to wrap it up, the whole point that he's getting to right here is to teach them and to show them in type. To show them in type what he was going to do and what would be the result. Because the eating, because they had a need, didn't they? The eating and the drinking with him literally spoke of communion and fellowship with him. That's what he was teaching them. You commune with me. You fellowship with me. I will fill your every need and beyond what you could even think of. Because he's the God of the detail. He's the God of every single detail. He leaves nothing undone. But what he does is he here, he tests Philip. 
You ever wonder why certain things happen in your life and in my life? Do you think God may allow it to see whether we absolutely trust Him or not? The thing that seems by sight impossible. And we go to the next thing and forget all the place where He's led us to and been so faithful and come through so many times. And do we think the next thing is too hard? Of course it's too hard for man. Because a man can receive nothing in himself. Our sufficiency in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 is not of ourselves, but it's of God. How is it of God? It's through Jesus Christ. He's met our every single need. And he's met, and he is the need and the provision for every single one of our loved ones. Every one of them. Every one of them. But he tests Philip. And in the testing of Philip, what does he do? He waits. <laughs> he waits for Andrew to say this. Well, pretty much, Lord, we're in trouble. Because do you see that? The only thing I see out of the whole 5,000... All of this need, I see one little, he's just a little boy. <laughs> and a little boy, all he has is five loaves and two fishes. That's not going to feed us. That's not going to feed us. But what is beautiful about this particular portion here <clears throat> is that this was what Christ does. He waits for Andrew's despairing words. He's desperate. Oh dear, look at my situation now. Look at my circumstances now. Oh God, what am I going to do? Well, what can we do? I mean, can we do anything without him? Can a man receive anything except it come from him? Not only the ability to receive the provision, but the provision itself. Do you think he's looking for, is, is, is God looking for anything in us? Or is he looking at us to see if we'll look for the full provision that he's provided through his son? And that's what he's doing. That's the place that he's bringing us to. But he waits for the despairing words of Andrew. What? Because he wants to teach them all, those disciples. And he wants to teach us tonight. What does he want to teach us? He wants to teach us now. What does he want to teach us now? What his gracious power loves to do with those that are little and despised. Psalm 119, 141. The psalmist said, I am small. I am so small in myself. And I'm despised. I'm taken for granted. He said, but I'm hanging on to your precepts. And a precept was the authoritative rule of the action of the word of God's grace. That's what it is. And that's what he said. I'm holding on to that. I may be small, and I may be despised, but I, ha I know that everything I need in my smallness, and me being despised or taken for granted, it's just a little kid, Five little fishes. And they're small fishes too, by the way. 
I'm going to hang onto the authoritative rule of the word of your gracious power in Christ. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust you. In Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Think about it. And lean not to your own understanding. Don't try and rely on yourself. I should not try to rely on myself, what I think I can do about my circumstance and situation. Because if I try to rely on what I can do in my circumstance and situation, then my circumstance and my situation will be my guide and not Jesus Christ in the midst of my circumstance and situation. I'll try to be self-sufficient. And sooner or later, guess what? I'll fall. I'll fail. And so will that other thing that I'm trying to trust in that's not of God, that's not of Christ. But what does he love to do? He loves to use those that are little and despised to do what? Where there's the greatest need. <laughs> yeah, where the greatest need. If you and I think we're so little and we don't have so much, maybe we don't even have five barley. What was the two small fishes in our supper? Maybe we don't think we're, oh, really? Really? What did the little boy do? He gave it to Jesus. Whatever little we have, whatever we think, he gave it to Jesus. And what did he do? <laughs> what did God do through a little, despised little boy with five loaves and two small fishes? He fed 5,000 men because it was in his hand and because he was the master of the situation and the circumstance. He's not only our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our master. He masters everything in our life when we give it over to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, result, and you will not lean into your own understanding. We've said before that word trust means to... Uh, means batak, B-A-T-A-C-H in the Hebrew, and it means to become attached. But God has to break those things that we're attached to that aren't of Him. And the breaking can be painful and hard, We've, but all He wants to do is replace Himself with what He breaks and we become attached to Him. In the last time that I checked, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never and what he, what he wants to do in us, he wants to do through us. Like this little boy and what he had. So what does he do? None of his disciples were operating in faith. They weren't trusting in him emphatically. They weren't experiencing the increase of what was theirs in Christ because they hadn't yet decreased in self-sufficiency. And when we live in self-sufficiency, we're going to be like Peter. We're going to follow him afar off on a hill. And again, that hill is self-preservation. I, I, I have to preserve a little bit of me to take care of this, just in case he doesn't. <laughs> just in case maybe he won't. So I might have to worry a little bit 
and to try and do something about it. Because after all, we can really help God, can't we? Yeah, we can get in the way. We can get in the way. Listen. None of them are operating in faith. Because listen, the flesh never glorifies Him. Ever. And for us not to trust Him, the only thing we can operate in is what? The flesh. Self-sufficiency. I have to play Him. I have to take care of these things. I have to do these things. Well, very quickly, and I'll close with this. These numbers are phenomenal, what they mean. We've been taught many times, <clears throat> not that it's wrong, but like in five, we've been taught for, for many years, speaks of grace, and two speaks of separation. But they mean far, far, far more than that. Far more. That little boy had five loaves. Really? He had five. Listen to what? The number five literally means it means God in his government, how he rules, right? God in his government. It speaks of capacity. It speaks of responsibility. It speaks of exercise. It speaks of a way in the end. It speaks of the weak with the strong. It speaks of man with God, and it literally speaks of Emmanuel. That's just the number five. And what does that mean? God in his government. When man is weak and has no capacity, God in his government, what can he do with a little boy with five little old loaves, who in himself is weak with them. Could that little boy with those five loaves feed those 5,000? Not until they were in Jesus' hands. We can't do anything. We're like the little boy. We can't do anything with those five. But in Jesus' hand, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. And just think of it. He's probably going to take those home and feed his family. Think of it. But he, he, he had to operate in faith. A simple little kid. Here. Here, Jesus. Here, take these five loaves and two fishes. Can you imagine what he saw? Can you imagine what those people saw? They... He just kept passing it out, Jesus. He kept passing it out to the 5,000. All he wants them to do is lay down and rest and receive and let him serve and let him come through for you and be patient while he does it because he'll come through in his time and he'll feed you. He'll take care of your need. He'll take care of your hunger. He'll take care of my hunger. He'll take care of your thirst. He'll take care of my thirst. So that's what it means. And you look at five. Five describes the weakness of every single human being. Listen, you look in the fifth chapter of Genesis. All lived a lot of years, but they all died. Genesis 5. 
literally. In Exodus, the fifth chapter, God's people were crushed in their weakness under their oppressors. There's Exodus, the fifth chapter. Very interesting. Beautiful. <laughs> Leviticus 5. God recognizes his people's poverty and abject need. And when they should have brought a big sacrifice, he knew that they couldn't do it in themselves because they were poor. In a sense, they were bankrupt. He said, just bring a turtle dove. I'll supply you even a little pigeon. It costs you next to nothing. That's Leviticus, the fifth chapter. There's the five again. In Esther 5, it was the weakness of Haman and his inability to control and conquer Mordecai. So God raised up a woman, Esther, and was faithful through her. And she could say in Esther 4.16, I am going to trust God. If I perish, I perish. <laughs> you think she saved the whole nation and delivered them from a lot that would have happened? One little old lady who wasn't afraid to go in, face the king. Esther, the fifth chapter. Mark, the fifth chapter. Men. Those men were too weak to handle that lunatic, that crazy guy that was in the tombs. They couldn't handle him. That's Mark, the fifth chapter. They couldn't do it. Jesus spoke a word. Cast out the demons. And that guy was sitting down with them. And people marveled. Because only Christ could do it. Man was much too weak. And we're too weak and we can do nothing. John, the fifth chapter, you saw the man who was crippled. And he wanted to go down the pool because a certain time each year the angel would trouble the water and those that would always go ahead of this guy and go down and get healed. And for years, I think it was 38 years, something like that, for years he sat till finally Jesus walked by. And Jesus had to do it. He's the only one that could because that man was too weak in himself to do it. He couldn't get up and walk until Jesus spoke the word to him. He said, take up your bed and walk. That's John, the fifth chapter. Another five. And Revelations, the fifth chapter. No man could open the book. No one could do it. Had to be Jesus. Because man was too weak, too frail. There was nothing in him that could have him to even have the ability to do that. It had to all be in Jesus Christ. Every single bit of it. In Mark 14, and, and Matthew 14, 7, 17, the five loaves were not enough to feed. As in the synoptic accounts, they weren't, those loaves weren't enough to feed 5,000 until they went in Jesus' hands. In Matthew 25, verse 15, the five talents could only produce five talents. Because man was too weak to do anything. I give you these five, and see what you can do. He couldn't, couldn't even reproduce anything. He couldn't do it. In Luke 16, 28, the five brothers couldn't, in themselves, keep themselves out of hell. Five. Well, two. Two, 
And just because we don't have enough time, it's, it's, it speaks of, the, of, of division and uh, so many other things that these numbers represent. And really, we don't have the time to really get into them the way I would like to. But two is, it's phenomenal what it's saying. It's just we're weak and frail. We can't do anything. But when you get five and two, weakness and division, and you give them to Jesus and he adds them up, there's seven and it is finished. <laughs> he finishes it. Because he's the only one that can do it. That's what he was teaching. The woman. Remember the woman at the well? Right? Jesus walked all that way to meet that one woman. And told her, Where's your husband? Oh, he's not here. And he's brought up, Yeah. He's not here. You're not with him. And the five others. Five weren't enough. <laughs> They weren't enough. You're just too weak. And what do people do in their weakness to try and do something about it? They can't do anything. And you and I can't do anything without Him. That's why it's all about Christ. Christ in us. Us in Christ. He supplies every single thing. Man is weak. Man is weak. Guess what? How many toes do you have? How many fingers do you have? How many senses do we have? Man is weak in everything about him. Is weak. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, When I am weak, I am strong in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Joel 3.10, let the weak say, I am strong. And you and I may be a little boy or a little girl in ourselves, but what can Jesus do when we're in his hands? Nothing is impossible with him. So, Father, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your that Christ is our provision. He's our ability. In Colossians 3.11, He is not only our all, He is all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.